0: 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel, they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass, in an evening time, that David arose from off his bed, "...walked upon the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came unto him. He lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. She returned under her house." And the woman conceived. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When this sin had conceived, the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Turn with me over to Deuteronomy and keep your finger there in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 22. I'm preaching tonight on the subject of holiness in the home. I am disturbed, greatly disturbed, uh, by the constant attack that we face as Christians on holiness, not from the outside, not from the world, but from Christians. An attack against the very nature and character of God, against the very word of God. And if you as a leader in your home, if you as a husband, uh, a father, if you do not secure your home on a moral level, if you don't understand the word of God proclaims and preaches holiness, if we're not diligent in this area, we're going to succumb to the temptation of the devil and watch as we already see taking place. A very unholy environment in the average Christian home. Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. Look what God commanded Moses. When he told them about building their houses, he said in verse 8, When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof. Look at the terminology. When you build a house... Make a battlement for thy roof that thou bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from hence. He said, listen, I'm so serious about safety and the safety of your children. If they can get on that roof, make sure there's a wall of protection that'll keep them from falling over the side. Never in my life have I seen an attack on walls like I have In the past five years, even in our churches, in Christianity, the very things that keep us safe and keep us distant from danger and distant from evil are now under attack. And here's what you see in 2 Samuel chapter 11. When we talk about David, listen, we're not talking about an ordinary man. We're not talking about an ordinary Christian. We're talking about someone that was favored by God from his youth. We're talking about someone who wrote many of the Psalms, someone who's obedient to his father, someone that had done right and was greatly used in his youth, from the slaying of Goliath, now to becoming the commander and the king of Israel. But we see David put himself in a very bad spot, and it's because he opened up the door of temptation and allowed a very unholy environment. Now, Father's Listen to me closely tonight, parents listen to me, and mothers, even if you are married to someone who's not a born-again child of God, that is not an excuse to allow your home to become unholy in its environment. How many of you believe that we serve a holy God? How many believe that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost that lives and resides inside of you? How many of you understand that there's an attack on holiness? Now, let me just say something and leave something extremely clear because there's a misunderstanding and a confusion, a self caused confusion. How many of you understand that righteousness is inherited? How many are thankful for that? The day that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, how many understand Romans 3 and 4 and 5 is talking about? We are justified by faith. We are made righteous. That's our standing, not our state, but our standing before God. How many of you are thankful for inherited righteousness that took place the moment you trusted Christ as Savior? Aren't you glad that when God sees your soul, he sees you as righteous? Now, he does not see you as holy. He sees you as righteous. Holiness is a choice. I hate to break the bad news, but when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you didn't become holy. You became righteous. Holiness is a daily battle. That's why God wrote Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because Paul said the things that I should do, I don't do. It's a daily battle. It's a daily choice. Now, we as parents, we as fathers, we as leaders have to say... If God, now in the Old Testament, we understand that His dwelling place was the tabernacle, the temple, the Holy of Holies. But now, the day and age of grace, that dwelling place, that Holy of Holies is our heart. Now God actually resides with us as believers. How many of you believe God is present with us tonight? And if God is present, Present, There should be a level of holiness within this church that you don't see outside these doors if there is no difference between this and a carnival between this and a football game the world should walk through these doors and notice immediately a different environment because this is God's dwelling place. And I am God's dwelling place. And if I'm God's dwelling place, the world should immediately, whether I'm inside the church or outside the church, recognize there's a child of God that's different, distinct, and holy. I believe our homes are God's dwelling place. We have adjusted our philosophy and accepted dual personalities, duplicity. And we say, you know, I can be one person in the house of God, another person at work, and another person at home. I don't believe that for a second. I believe being a Christian means 24-7, night and day, day and night, early in the morning, in the afternoon, when you come home to relax. doesn't matter who you're with or where you're at. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost and ought to act like his temple. 24-7. Now, here's what David did. He went home. He was in the palace. Now, there were already some very obvious mistakes being made. And here's what holiness entails. Holiness means you're going to have to open up this book and see what God says about right and wrong, things to do and things not to do and follow his commands how many of you believe we have a inspired preserved word of God in our hands how many believe you're holding that or that disappeared because he simply inspired the originals and now we just have the best uh, available and we hope that it's correct we hope I believe I am literally holding the inspired word of God now listen If we have an inspired, preserved book, that means we can know the mind of God. That means in this generation, in English, we can open up this book and teach our children. Although we cannot see God, we can know God. Although we can't hear God in an audible voice, we can know his will through his written word. Let's understand the mind of God. Let's open up this book. Let's establish a relationship with him so we can please him in our daily actions. Because man is rebellious by nature. Because man is distant from God, from birth. Here's what man wants to do man wants to create God in his own image. Man wants to determine what is acceptable and unacceptable to God. No, God's already established that. He's very clear, he's very plain, and you say, well, the Old Testament is a bunch of rules and regulations. Actually, the New Testament is a bunch of rules and regulations that are even stiffer and stricter than the Old Testament. I'm not concerned about the ceremonial law. I'm not under that. I'm concerned about the commands of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. I struggle with those. Amen. I'm thankful for Philippians 3 9, where Paul said, Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which comes through the faith of Jesus Christ the righteous. I thank God every day for that inherited righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. But in the same book, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that doesn't make me quite as happy. I'm glad he sees me as righteous, but I want him to see me as holy. And that's a struggle. Because I still have a flesh. And when he saved me, he saved my soul. But he didn't save me from this flesh. King David had a flesh. One day, look what the Bible says in verse 1. It came to pass after the year was expired. At the time when kings go forth to battle. That David sent Joab. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now we're talking about basic rules for a holy home. You know one of the most basic rules is that we can establish and apply and enforce? Be where you are supposed to be and you'll stay out of and avoid a lot of headache and heartache and sin, temptation and trouble. You know where Christians start to bat backslide you find them where they're not supposed to be church you I talk to people pastor you don't have to worry about me I am worried about you because church has the doors open and you're not there that's backsliding there are times you should be at home. Listen, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you shouldn't be anywhere except at your house with your wife, your family, your children. Amen. I want you to know when it's so many, I'm at soul When it's prayer time, I'm at prayer. When it's church time, I'm at the house of God. Uh, when it's time to be at my house, when it's time to be with my children, when it's time to be at school, when it's time to be at the institute, I want to be exactly where I'm supposed to be, huh? And backsliding means you start missing certain moments, excusing away your absence, explaining and trying to tell others, convince others, I'm okay, although I'm not where I'm supposed to be at the time I'm supposed to be there. David got himself in serious trouble. Folks, that's a basic barrier that'll keep you from falling off the edge of the cliff. If you set a rule and tell your children, you know what? You're supposed to be at your house at this time. You're supposed to be at school at that time. You're supposed to be at the teen activity at that time of day. You're supposed to be at Sony at that time of day. You know how my children can avoid a lot of problems? Now, let me say this. I'm not against rest. I'm not against vacation. You say, well, he's the king. He's a busy man. You know what? The king was supposed to lead his troops in his army in the battle. He was not where he was supposed to be. Maybe he needed rest. This wasn't the time to get rest. There's a time, there's a proper moment when you need to get rest and you should rest. There are times to take vacation and here's what we do. We pick the wrong time and end up at the wrong place and fall into the wrong temptation simply because we're not where we're supposed to be. You know what backsliding is in 2013? Backsliding is simply backing out, backing up. Those... Things you used to do. Those places you used to go. Those people you used to fellowship with. Those responsibilities that you used to fulfill. Now are left undone. You're placing yourself in a bad spot. And usually everyone else around us notices what's taking place except for us. We're the last ones to even realize it. I'm talking about a spiritual condition. And let me just say this. When you get to that point, you're not enjoying anything spiritual anyways. Those things that are spiritual now become painful. And here's what's funny. Those that find themselves in this spiritual state of backslidden behavior like to approach their pastor as if they've been enlightened. Seen some things I've never seen before. Um, Actually, you're showing me something I've seen many times before. This isn't new. This behavior's been going on and taking place for thousands of years. Christ saw it in the very first church that he planted in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He was not where he was supposed to be. Look what it says. The year expired Look what it says. At the time when kings go forth to battle. Verse 2. It came to pass in an evening tide during the evening hours that David arose from off his bed. David, what are you doing in your bed? He's walking upon the roof. He sees a woman washing herself. David, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. When we get to this step, and let me just say, there's nothing more dangerous than idleness in the life of a Christian. You know when people find themselves watching something they shouldn't see on TV or watching, looking at something they shouldn't be looking at on the Internet, communicating with someone they shouldn't be communicating with, it happens during a time of idleness. First of all, they're found in a place they shouldn't be. They're doing something they should not do. And here's where David found himself. Wrong place, wrong time. Doing the wrong thing. Look what it says in chapter 12. When he commits this sin. Now let me just throw this out there. To clarify any confusion that might be in your mind. God does not overlook the sin of the Christian because he's been declared righteous. God saw this Sin. I thought David was righteous. Yes, his soul was righteous. His standing before God was righteous. But God saw this sin. God saw this unholiness. God was going to address it and bring down a severe punishment, a severe consequence for this action. And the Lord sends the man of God, Nathan, unto David to speak to him, to tell him a little parable. David was angered because he thought the man of God was speaking of another person's failure, another man's sin, when really this parable was about David recognizing the injustice he had committed, the sin that he had fallen into. Look what he says. This man will restore fourfold. And Nathan in verse 7 says unto David... Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. God has noticed and God is angered and God will have to punish you. Look what he says. I gave thee, verse 8, thy master's house, thy master's wives, and thy bosom gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Verse 9 Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You know what any unholiness is? It's despising the commandment of the Lord. Now, here is what is so scary. David was the leader of a nation. His responsibility was even greater than any other man in all of Israel. He was God's chosen king. So he was a father. He was a husband. He was a leader. He was a commander of the army. He was the king of Israel. Now imagine, as David begins to inquire, we see indifference to sin. Now, when he... In his conversation, let me say this, you better be careful about conversations in your home, conversations with your children, conversations with your mate. When he begins to inquire, as soon as, first of all, he's already sinned because when he saw, he should have turned, but now he is trying to put feet to his lustful desires. And someone says, I think that woman is the wife. As soon as that person said the wife, David should have backed up and said, I've sinned, messed up. But there was a coldness, a callous behavior. And then he not only said that woman is another man's wife, he said that is the wife of Uriah. And David knew Uriah. David's chief counselor was Ahithophel, the granddaddy of Bathsheba. Uriah was one of David's 30 mightiest men. David was supposed to maintain a holy environment in his home. Now, can you imagine as David told his servant, I want you to go quickly, I want you to go quietly, I want you to bring that woman to the palace. No one will know. Do you think that servant was ignorant? Little whispers were spreading. Can you imagine as Bathsheba with her softest shoes, quietly. Can you imagine how her heart beat in fear, in trepidation? She walked down those halls. and David waited. Opened up his door. And as she stepped in, The word had already spread. The truth was already known. There was no one in that palace that felt comfortable because they said our leader just took another man's wife. That's the granddaughter of Ahithophel, his counselor. That's the woman of Uriah, the mighty man. And he sends her home. But the whispers don't stop. Isn't it amazing how we like to think that no one notices the unholiness that we've introduced to our homes? Isn't it amazing that we're the only ones deceived? Isn't it amazing that we've fallen into a trap and we like to think, I'll not be discovered? Number one, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What's for man soweth? That shall he also reap. You can't get away with sin. You don't plant a seed, you don't sow a sin and reap a harvest two days later. But the harvest was to come. Because one day he gets a note and he opens up that piece of paper and it says, I am with child. And that child is yours. And at the bottom, it's signed by Bathsheba. David begins to pace. But listen, he's already distant from God. And listen, one of the rules that you ought to establish in your home, one of the most important rules, is to have a daily Walk with God where there's a regular confession of sin that takes place. And as parents, you better monitor your children and your mate and yourself because ultimately that is your responsibility. And some of you have children that haven't walked in aisle in months or years. That means their personal walk with God is not well. They're developing a hard heart. Listen, there is nothing more important than you can do in your home than to make sure your family, every individual in your family, has a personal walk with God and are regularly confessing and addressing their sins. Because here's the scariest part of the whole story. When confronted with the reality that he was caught. Instead of saying, I have sinned and now I have to go before Uriah, I have to confess the wickedness of my actions. It's a cover-up. Stage two. You know what the average person has done? Now listen, folks. Your beginning, your spiritual beginning is not nearly on the level That David's was. You've not slain Goliath. You're not the anointed of God. You haven't written Psalms. You're not the leader of Israel. And David found himself in this spot. Not on the edge of the cliff, but over the edge. Justifying his every action. In matter of fact, when Nathan came, why is it? that this sin had gone so far and his heart had become so callous that when the man of God came to confront him, there was no trepidation or fear that I've been caught. Matter of fact, when Nathan told him this parable, he was convinced that the man of God was speaking of someone else. He was riled in his heart and in his soul and said, that man must pay for his sin. Actually, that man, David, is you. I want you to think about your home for a minute. I want you to stop and meditate. And I want you to think about the unholiness that's been introduced to your home. How far down that road are you? Although you have at your access tech experts that could put on firewalls and help you Protect your children from this world and the smut and the filth of this world. You could easily create accountability. You could easily have an expert in this church check your computer just to help your mate feel more confident that there's nothing, absolutely nothing taking place that should not be taking place on that computer. You know you've introduced unholiness to your mind. There are magazines that shouldn't be there. TV programs being watched that shouldn't be watched. Your own children now have access to cable. It will. Holy men of God were preaching against I Love Lucy 30 years ago. And now your kids have the remote. Get to watch. Homosexuality glorified. Adultery take place on the TV screen they mock God. Sin is glorified. And now Christians are so calloused, they laugh. The guard being introduced to their families, their homes. And David becomes so calloused when the man of God came in and said, there's a problem. David said to the prophet Nathan, deal with it. Take care of that man. Judge him as he should be judged. Nathan said, David, you're the man. I wonder tonight if we took someone to do a house inspection that lasted a week. A holiness inspection. What if we just reviewed the past seven days? In your home. In your personal life. The moments that no one else saw, the things that no one else heard, the places that you went, the people you spoke to, the things that you brought into your personal life or into your home. And David had just jumped off the edge of the cliff. There were walls that were dismissed and barriers that were broken down. You said, you believe in walls of separation? Absolutely, because I believe going over that wall means pain, destruction, consequence, embarrassment. I want those walls. Well, don't you think you should lower those walls and give freedom to your children? Absolutely not. How many of you have ever poured concrete? What do you use when you pour concrete? Walls. We call them forms. They have to be as high as the concrete. You put that wall up as high as you need to to make sure not one ounce of concrete escapes because that concrete comes in liquid form. And until it sets, that wall can't be removed or damage is done. So you know what you do? You put up those walls. That wall is not a boundary that's going to hurt the concrete, but help the concrete until it sets. In the walls that we establish in our homes, and our marriage with our kids, that we put those things in place... As long as is necessary, I hope the one day Christopher and Ashley and Brittany don't need the walls as high. But we'll make them as high as is necessary until they're set in their convictions, they're set in their beliefs, they're set in their doctrine, until that concrete sets in their soul and they're capable of maintaining a position that is firm, they're not dry yet. So those forms have to stay in place. And there are some forms that will never be moved. And here's what's sad. You watch as Christians are duped into believing a lie of this world that sets standards aren't important, convictions aren't important, holiness is important. There's an extreme consequence that comes with every action. And not only did the Lord see this wickedness, address this wickedness, but he said David, there will be a consequence. David pronounced his own judgment. Look what it says in chapter 11. Excuse me, chapter 12. Verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, That man that hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. Let me ask you why we ought to have walls and standards and convictions and rules. It's called safety for your protection. Here are the benefits. The first benefit is Those walls will help you avoid temptation. It's just amazing. We expect our young people to be strong at five years old simply because they go to Christian kindergarten. Well, let's see. They read the Bible. They attend the teen program. They've been raised in church. Surely they're not going to be tempted. I pray every day. There are certain things I pray every day. This is one of them. God Help my children so that temptation and opportunity don't meet together today. Because they are weak in the flesh. And Satan would love to give this young man an opportunity, this young man an an opportunity, this young lady an opportunity, this young lady an opportunity, this young lady an opportunity. And they are tempted. Listen, you better be careful because some of you look back on your life and you know what happened. When temptation met opportunity, you fell. You know why I have standards in my life? You know why I have convictions in my life? David, what about a standard of modesty? David, what are you doing? You're creating not only opportunity, but you are human flesh and blood. Yes, you should know better. Yes, God used you to write scripture. Yes, you're the leader of Israel. Yes, you were used to defeat Goliath. Yes, God has empowered you. And matter of fact, in all the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming and going, empowering, but not permanently indwelling. But in the case of David, we see an exception. And the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit came upon David and stayed upon him. David, you are one of the fortunate, maybe not just few, but possibly the only one in the entire world Old Testament, that experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He introduced immodesty in his home. The result was a child out of woodlock. A hurt testimony. Temptation that never should have been in his home. The worst thing you can do for your family... Listen, there's enough temptation out in this world and it's on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And don't think that you're a strong enough Christian to be able to handle that consistently 365 days out of the year because you will have a weak moment. So you know what walls and standards and convictions and rules do for you? They protect you during a weak moment. And even if you were strong enough to handle it, which I doubt. Let's sit down together and talk about your life, your strength, your spiritual walk, your weaknesses. Yeah, you've deceived yourself. You weren't strong enough to handle it. But suddenly you're going to introduce that as if your children were strong enough to handle that. And you're introducing iPhones and iPads and the internet, and Facebook, and Google+, and all these things into their lives, you can't handle it at 28, and they're supposed to handle it at 15. Why don't you go to the palace and watch David as he tries to console Bathsheba? She holds that dead baby. That pain, that grief, those emotions didn't go away in 24 hours. You say, when did they pass? They might never have passed because it's one thing to lose a child and it's another thing to lose a child knowing you were the cause, you were the reason that child lost its life. And the worst part was he had to tell his wife about sitting down with Nathan. He had to tell his wife about the consequence. And he had to tell his wife That's the first sheep. Nathan told us we were going to be judged fourfold. The only problem was there were two sins. The adultery with you and then the murder of your husband. That means eight sheep. Then while he heard of Tamar being raped, he had to sit down with Bathsheba and say, that's sheep number two. Then as he goes to the funeral of Amnon, killed by his own brother, he has to look his own wife in the eyes and say, that is sheep number three. We have five to go. And Bathsheba was there for sheep number eight. As Adonijah was slain at the altar of God. And at the end of her life, it was a pain to mother she said, I finally paid. But the grief wouldn't stop. You know why I want those walls as high as possible? I like the benefit of avoiding as much temptation. I can't avoid all temptation, but I sure want to avoid as much as possible. I want to avoid the consequences. How many of you have ever gotten hurt, or you cut a finger, you broke a bone, and you dealt with that pain and said, thank God it's me and not my child. But guess who pays for your sins? So one day you get to watch your child. That grief that you wish you could bear, that sin that you wish you could pay for, they get to pay for he why, David, why did you break down those walls? Oh, he regretted it. But he was supposed to maintain that wall around his home. When he introduced unholiness, everyone suffered. Every child suffered. Everyone in that palace suffered. Everyone in his kingdom suffered, dealing with the testimony of their king. And the consequences of his sin. What about the embarrassment? You know what most people don't like? Preacher, let me pay for my sin. But please don't let me suffer the embarrassment. Embarrassment is a safeguard. Don't you need to teach your children? There's an embarrassment that comes with sin. Because be sure... Your sin will find you out. I want you to see the embarrassment, and we'll be done. Look what it says back in one Samuel, or excuse me, two Samuel eleven, verse fourteen. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah, and he wrote the letter saying, "Say ye, Uriah." in the forefront of the hottest battle, and then retire ye from him. Back up. Leave him there alone, that he may be smitten and die. The only problem was, when he got that letter, and he followed through with that plan, Uriah wasn't the only one that lost his life. Read the next few verses, you'll see several men the mightiest in David's army, were slain. Let me ask you this. What did Joab do with that letter? What did Joab do with that letter? Let's say he threw it in the fire and burned it to protect his king. It could not change his mind. Could not change his feelings could not change his level of respect. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have done something in your past and someone has your letter? How long did he deal with Joab? Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2. Why don't you read the next few chapters and take a look at Joab's out-of-control behavior? 1 Kings 2, verse 5. David is about ready to die. He says, Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel. Unto Abner, the son of Ner, under Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom and let not his whorehead go down to the grave in peace. Why was Joab, David's right-hand man and captain of the army, out of control? How do you arraign in a man that has your letter? How do you rebuke a man that you sent a letter that said, I just committed adultery with your wife, take him into battle, lead him up to the hottest spot, and abandon that man? Whether or not he burn it. Every time he looked at Joab, he said, that man has my letter. You know why you want to put walls up high? Because when you fall over the cliff, someone's going to have your letter. And you to live with that for the rest of your life. And some of you deal with a marriage with a husband or a wife. It has a letter. And just about the time something comes up, they pull out the letter. We need to reestablish in our homes holiness. Because God established. That's not something the man promoted. That's something God established in His Word. And to avoid temptation, to avoid consequence, to avoid embarrassment, to avoid someone having your letter, the smart thing to do would to say, I want to put up walls of protection.